Okay, let's go ahead and call Charlie. Is this the guy that's a better runner than you? Yeah. Whoa. There we go. Charles Hatch. At the tone, please Gosh, record your message. It. You have finished recording. You may hang up or press 1 for more options. I'm interested. Eric, have you ever listened to the podcast? No. Oh, wait. Chris. Ross. Chris, who's Eric? I don't I'm think sorry. no one. There's so many. <laughs> sorry, Chris. Who are we calling? Charlie. Charlie. My friend Charlie. Okay. Chris and Charlie. And we're going to give him just. All right. Chris, I won't yeah. do that again. Maybe maybe Chris could just introduce us, but the cool part is he stays on. Okay. Here we go. New episode. Friend Chris, indoor climbing partner, lover of pizza slices. St. Louisan. He's uh, guest hosting us today, the uh, He Got Game right. podcast. <clears throat> so, Chris, you're going to introduce our names, what you know about the speech guys, which is almost nothing. That's okay. <laughs> and what the episode is. And remember, this is edited, so that's okay. I'm passing it <laughs> off okay. to you. All right. Uh, yeah, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. I. Uh... I'll start with Ross. <laughs> Looks like Matt, Mike, obviously, and uh, Landon. Landon, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Also, JL. JL. All right, we'll go with JL. JL for this podcast. Yeah, we're gonna be. Uh, so, go ahead. <laughs> Chris and I have been climbing together for about three years, although more seriously, just uh, just the past year here in St. Louis. We'll keep it short and sweet. Episode is. Becoming Jesus is sort of what we're going to title this speech. That's the speech that Denzel Washington's character Jake Shuttlesworth gave to his son, Jesus Shuttlesworth, in the 1998 Spike Lee film, He Got Game. With that, oh, and it's Speeches by Prisoners, a new speech series. So with that, let's go ahead and cue the music. Michael Schaefer, Ross Johnson, Matt Schultz, and Landon Fry are all are all here. It's free, free. I've been back and I'm just gonna say it. I've been thinking it for ten minutes. I don't want a podcast here. Oh yeah. Now I've seen the road. Pregnancy is a beautiful thing. Pregnancy is a gift. Paint sticks to asteroids. Like, if you don't climb your walls. We are called to emerge from that default setting of self involvement. Okay, we're back. You know, that was put on Chris pretty quickly, the introduction there, so we won't fault him too much for a lack of theatrics and uh, drama and comedy. But he's staying on. He's but here the with pl- us. the plus side, he's staying on. He's staying on all, uh, all 80 minutes or so. Let's go ahead and 
listen to those two clips uh, that we're going to listen to just to set up the context for these two uh, speeches from the film. For those who have not seen the movie, uh, Denzel Washington's character Jake is in prison for sort of a questionable situation, but we'll leave that to the movie podcast uh, for involuntary manslaughter, I believe, uh, for accidentally killing his wife. Um, Jesus Shuttlesworth's mother in a fight, a, a couple, a couple that they have. So he's in prison. Meanwhile, his son Jesus Shuttlesworth is a great basketball player, phenom, and is about to graduate high school. And he is trying to figure out what college to go to. It so happens that the governor of this particular state, I think it's New York, decides that he will let Denzel. Washington's character out of prison early if he can convince Jesus to go to the college of the universe that the governor wants. So Denzel Washington has one week, which is way more time than Denzel Washington needs to get anything done. Chris left. So this is basically big state is the University of Illinois. This movie's in 1998, and the governor would base so the governor's Jim Edgar trying to get. Chicago's best draft pick to go to U of I, right? Are you saying U of I just because that's relevant to us or because of something you know? No, they were like, they filmed it in Chicago and like there were, he, his high school jersey was like Lincoln. It was like there, there were sports clips in the newspaper, like Land of Lincoln Basketball of the Year, which is Illinois. So. Right, I'm familiar. Yeah. Huh, okay, we'll take your word for it. <laughs> University of Illinois uh, metaphor. Go Rails um, Okay, so so Denzel Washington out of prison, and the first speech that we're going to listen to is sort of his first meaningful interaction with his son uh, out on this particular uh, pier. With that, let's go ahead and listen to that clip. I appreciate it though, son. Yeah, I appreciate it for coming to meet me and everything like that. I got this for Mary here, you know. I thought she might like these here. <laughs> you know, my all time favorite ball player was Earl Monroe. Earl the Pearl. Yeah, he was nice. See, everybody remember him from the Knicks, you know, when he helped him win that second championship and everything like that, but I'm talking about when he was with the Bullets down Winston-Salem Stadium before that, gave him 42 points a game the whole season, 41.6. The whole season. But the Knicks, they put the shackles on him, man. You know, on this whole game, they locked him up like in a straitjacket or something. When he was in the streets of Philly, the playgrounds, oh, he was like, <laughs> You know what they call him? What? Jesus. That's what they call him, Jesus. Because he was the truth. Then the white media got a hold of it. Then they got to call him Black Jesus. You know, he can't just be Jesus. He got to be Black Jesus, you know. But still, he was the truth. So 
but that's the real reason why you got your name. You named me Jesus after Earl Monroe, not Jesus of the Bible? Not Jesus of the Bible, Jesus of North Philadelphia. Jesus of the playgrounds. That's the truth, son. The way he dished, the way he, you know, he'd spin, you know how you do. Coming off, all that. Tow. I want you to go to Big State, son. That's the real reason why I'm out here. That's the reason they let me out. You find it in your heart to go to Big State, and uh, they may let me out on an early parole. So that's what this is all about, huh? That's a part of it. That's Jake, you just it. like everybody else. I like everybody else. I ain't like everybody else. Everybody else ain't your father. Everybody else ain't bring you in this world. Everybody else don't care about you, son. Like that girl you running with, you know her, Le Layla? Lala. Lala, you know her? Yeah, I know her. Yeah, she know you like a book, too. Many a great man, son, they downfall was because of a woman. I'm talking about Samson and Delilah. Yeah, that's right, him too. Him too. You see, I don't cut my hair, right? So you do know your Bible, huh? Look, son, just be careful. That's all I'm saying to you, all right? All right? You know, if you're going to... Go to Big State? I mean, is that like a finalist or the final four for you? They're in my top ten. In your top ten? All right, that's good. One out of ten. That's... I could live with the mods. Okay, uh, second speech excerpt that we're going to do is from the later part of the film. We're obviously going to talk about the first one first, but just to make sure that we get everything out here to work with. I'm calling this the father wound speech. There is no official title to this speech that I could find from the film. The one-on-one -on -one speech is another name for it. Uh, but this takes place towards the end. Denzel Washington's week is almost up. It's still not clear that Ray Allen's character is going to pick this college that he needs to, quote-unquote, in order to get his father out of prison. So the deal is that Denzel Washington challenges his son to a one-on-one -on -one game to 11. And if he wins, he goes to big state. But if he does not win, then Ray Allen gets to choose whatever his heart feels is right. So, with that. Point game. Just play the game. Just play the game. I learned that from you. You better D up, Jake. Point game. This your last shit. Come on, where you at? What you looking around for? That's game, 11-5. Jake. Somebody call a stretcher. Stick a fork in him, he's done. Take your old ass back to Attica. Stop hating me so I can bring your mother back. Maybe we can start being father and son again now. Huh? Can you we ain't my that? father. 
tell you something. You look out for yourself. You look out for your sister. You ain't got to worry about me no more. But you get that hatred out your heart, boy. Or you're going to end up just another like your father. Sure, boy. Well, Jake, I think it's time for all of us to go back home. Okay? No. No, Jake. Turn around. Okay, so those are our two speeches, Identity and Father Wounds. First reactions to either of those speeches? First reactions, it was like a great movie, as all movies in the 90s are. Um, I had never seen it, and uh, I mean, I love basketball movies. I didn't know Ray Allen was in a movie. Yeah, that's crazy, like, (laughs) thinking about that now. Yeah. And he does a pretty solid job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was surprising. Again, I was also fascinated with all the Illinois connections. Yeah, the fictional team was the Lincoln Rail Splitters. The Lincoln, Illinois High School is the Rail Splitters. Like, it's, it's not a fictional team, yeah. But but it takes place in New York, obviously, because still, they reference Attica. Like, <laughs> it's, it's all over the intro. Yeah, I think letting go, I think if you were to sum up generic father and son tensions, the... Um, the final line there, like letting go of the hatred. Otherwise, the thing that you hate about me is also going to boil up and be a part of you is truth, likely. There is a really brief quote that I came up with myself that I want to share that I feel like fits really well here. I haven't heard anyone else say it, but I feel like it makes sense. (laughs) I think since Adam and Eve... People have been blaming either their father or men have been blaming either their fathers or their wives. <laughs> Agree? Disagree? What percent of our shortcomings would we blame on those two people? Just an interesting thought. I just wanted to make sure that got out there. Okay. Fascinating. Maybe that's a final bell question, but we have to give an actual. <laughs> we have to give an exact. Digit if you to could the 10 give your percentages. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I thought, I thought it was just a very raw father figure, almost like I feel like the first Rocky movie is just kind of, I don't know, just very raw people, you know, like Pauly, mm. the way yeah. Pauly kind of like defends. He defends his sister, but also like really puts his sister down and I don't know. Um, but then Jake is this, yeah, very clear kind of flaws. Um, and, you know, how he pushed his son, how he you know, interacted with his wife and these sort of very typical masculine problems, you know, with, you know, he was drinking while he was playing his son in basketball and, you know, pushing him, you know, pushing him way too hard. Um, and, uh, but also just, uh, yeah, so I, I guess just this very raw father figure, but has this like deep carnal fatherhood about him, you know, um, 
that I thought came out mm. like in the, in these speeches, but just throughout the whole movie, you could tell that's like deep. That's a deep part of his identity. Yeah, I mean, I think to briefly riff on that is like Denzel Washington, sort of similar to Sidney Poitier as an actor, but Denzel Washington too. And in this movie, he's he's like a very physical actor. Like he uses his body to like accentuate his dialogue. He laughs about something. He shakes his body just really. And then he makes these references to the Bible and Samson and Delight and how that's why he doesn't cut his hair. Yeah, it's just, it's very clear his fatherhood is profoundly important to him, even if he, you know, obviously fell short in uh, particular ways. That's an interesting, yeah, I like that. He he cares a lot and he's very, he's very into it. I wish we knew a little bit about what his character's father was like. All the biggest biographies you read, like, start at the great-great-grandfather and, like, look at the ebb and flow of the generations to get out to the main character. And, like, they always try to, like, tie traits to two or three generations back. And we're missing that here. Uh, Yeah, first reactions, um, not necessarily on the movie, but just speaking to the speech when they're playing basketball. Yeah, kind of interesting... I don't know if it's a dynamic and I don't think I'm necessarily looking, trying to look too hard into it. You have this like on one hand, like it's just a superficial level. He's trying to get himself out of prison. So like you could just watch that scene as like he wants to beat his son so that he, his son will pick big state and he'll, he'll get out of prison sooner. But then like at the same time, he's almost, I mean, he's not almost, he's like fathering Jesus Shuttleworth here. And it's like, I feel like that line at the end, not that it's like a rite of passagey, thing but it was almost like a um like when he said it's your ball or whatever i don't know i thought that was like def not not that that was like an initiation type thing but i feel like it was definitely like a you know he could see how much pain his son was in and kind of a a challenge maybe to yeah let that go so that he doesn't you know have all these problems later on well, I mean, I know. I think <clears throat> I think rite of passage is is the pretty much right word for that. Yeah, because obviously they had never played one-on-one before other than when they were young and obviously, you know, Denzel Washington would beat him. So I yeah, I think there was something yeah, definitely rite of passage e sort of um about that. Like something to the effect of like now you finally beat me. Like that's that's what you wanted pass the torch uh the first I, th- I thought the first speech was interesting because it's not really fair to either jake or jesus because you know he's working on a compressed timeline he's got a week to do this thing as you guys said before you know he's a father first and he it's almost like he cares a little too much he pushes son too hard but he's got a week to repair the damage of the past and accomplish this thing and it's not really realistic it's not fair but so why did why did I choose this speech or this collection of speeches from this movie? Well, one, I just happened upon this movie from one of my favorite podcasts called The Rewatchables, where they talk about movies. But I do remember when this movie came out because it was 1998. I was balling it up like every other kid in America since Jordan was obviously at his peak. Have the shaved head looked exactly like him. (laughs) (laughs) Um, An okay basketball player, mind you. I wasn't aggressive enough. That was my biggest weakness. But I could definitely shoot shoot the jumper fairly well. So I remember seeing this and wanting to watch it, but 
yeah, as you guys saw, not it, not appropriate for a nine-year-old boy. <laughs> so we have the speech series, Speeches by Prisoners. I saw our ideas for some of the other prisoners. I don't remember what exactly <laughs> the topic, but the I felt like there was a niche here with fatherhood um, that we could explore as an opportunity here with prisons. Being a person, I do have a father. And <laughs> there's that, I think there's something that, you know, obviously this film, it takes place in urban area, uh, black family, you know, black friends. But I think that what's really attractive and compelling about the story is that the father-son dynamic, the father-son relationship has such a profound relevance to all different kinds of people and all different demographics, right? And one of the things I made a point of in the notes was like the absent father, right? That, And I had made a link to uh, an interview Denzel Washington did uh, for a film he did called something a few years ago. And he was commenting on like, the system being an issue against African Americans versus the home life, and he, you know, he referenced absent fathers in that. But what remind, but then what reminded me of the idea of absent fathers is how, like, you can't necessarily ever quite run away from it. Like, even in this white middle class family, specifically, I put a link to the Ferris Bueller movie, right, and. It's the one of Ferris Bueller's friends, right? His dad is just obsessed with his job, right? And just cares more about his car than attention to his son. And so the son takes it out on him by, you know, accidentally or not caring when he takes it out on the streets of Chicago and then uh, run, runs through the window. But the point is, like, this dynamic of the absent father is still there. It just manifests itself in this other, different, interesting way. That was particularly striking, compelling to me. I felt like there was a lot of fodder to that. And let's see, any other particularly first reactions to these two speeches? Yeah, the idea of Ray Allen acting in a movie, like as an adult, thinking like, yeah, let's just take some NBA player and put him in a multi-million dollar movie. <laughs> Like, man, that's sort of crazy and impressive. He actually was in one other movie with legitimate people a couple few years later. But like Shaq's acting career, it sort of <laughs> faded <Yeah>. into uh, <laughs> the distance. <laughs> so first speech, identity. So there's kind of two ideas. Matt's had made a note on my note here. I sort of want to play with. So one, Denzel Washington emphasizes where you came from. And you can express that in a whole lot of different ways. Um, in this particular way, he emphasizes how this is why you're actually named Jesus. It's not because Jesus from the Bible, as you might have thought. It's actually because of this particular basketball player, um, Earl Monroe who the media called the black Jesus, right? Because his skills were truth. I had to, I, I wondered why, like, why was this fictional Earl Monroe named black Jesus? Because he was, as Denzel says, like, truth. 
just FYI. So, okay, one, like, I mean, they showed clips. Earl Monroe was a real player, right? I don't. Yeah, he did not average 41.6. Oh, really? According to basketball reference, I... What what did he average? Um, I closed it, but I'll find it again. <laughs> oh, he was real. Huh. I kind of thought since most of the things they were doing were fictional, I kind of thought maybe this is a fictional guy. Otherwise, they would have called Big State University the U of I, right? <laughs> His best season, he averaged 25.8 points a game. Oh, my gosh. That's a huge difference. He was only, like, good. He wasn't... <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> Moses, me. So he was like early, early NBA. Yeah, man, that begs a really interesting question. Then of like, why did Spike Lee pick him out for this particular? Was he actually called Black Jesus? He was. That's... Yeah, yeah. That has has several nicknames listed: the Pearl, Black Jesus, Black Magic, Einstein. Yeah, there's a few different nicknames. Yeah. Huh. 25 points a game is, like, on the line I for, mean, like, major... Now. According to this, though, he was voted one of the top 75 players in NBA history. Yeah. You got, okay. You got to consider him within the context of his peers, which, back then, you know, Wilt Chamberlain had a 100-point game. Right. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. All right. Real player. Cool. Good to know. Okay, where he came from, but also bringing in this dynamic of you know, your opportunity, like, because of who you are, you have this certain opportunity to not only live into this name, but also become something more than that. Can you guys recall any speeches like this? Or even if it wasn't exactly speeches from your dad, or uncle, or grandpa, or godfather, or male figure that was sort of like had this flavor to it or conversations that had this flavor to it of this is who you are. Mm -hmm. Or even if it was just like a comment that they would say with some regularity and sort of try to tether it to possibility, to opportunity. Speeches like this one, like which part of the the speech are we pulling from here? Um, which, or... Well, just just the gen the general idea of it, right? That this is this is who you are. This is your sure. origin. Oh, okay. Story, the naming, the origin and story one, is... not the not the get the yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of your heart. Okay, gotcha. Kind of a yeah. It wasn't delivered in quite as momentous of a speech or in a way like this, but um, a realization. So my grandpa uh, on my dad's side was his his father kind of left him and abandoned the family, um, so they don't. They, they didn't really know much about him. Um, and he was raised by, like, his stepdad. But what they found out eventually, they did a little bit of, like, genealogy stuff um, and found out his name, or his, like, full name. I, they knew his name was Joseph, um, but his name was Joseph Matthew. When my name's Matthew Joseph. So that was something I, I remember my grandma and my my and a few of my aunts kind of bringing up oh you know like your your grandfather's you know original dad was was joseph matthew and they never really like said this to me but i guess i always kind of thought like oh well, like this is a man who like clearly failed in his mission to be a good father and husband and like all right i'm kind of like reversing that you know mm. or i kind of saw that as like okay like joseph matthew like all right i'm matthew joseph i'm gonna you know mm. kind of 
change change the direction here. Yeah. So I could see that being a movie. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. No one ever like put that on me. No one ever was like, you know, you're Joseph Matt or you're Matthew Joseph. You're gonna change the way that your grandfather, you know, your great grandfather treated that, you know. But uh, yeah, something at least kind of internalized uh, a little bit. Could you imagine? I mean, you've brought him up before, you know. So what he left the family now probably like 80 years ago right sure something like that can you imagine like if he knew yeah there's going to be your great-grandson talking with his friends about this reality 80 years later sure huh well well as chris introduced me as jl the the j stands for (laughs) jay which is my father's name um uh, so I go by my middle name, as does my father. His first name is Delbert, who was his father, and so on. But actually, not so on. I thought it went back, like, generations. It only goes back four, and the g- two guys before him. Yeah, yeah, still... yeah, it's not quite as far as I thought. But um, So I, I did always knew that. I knew that, like, I was named after my dad. He was named after his dad. And then just from memory, I could name my great-grandfather, my great-great, and the one who came over on the boat. And it's like, I am the sixth generation free farmer in America. I knew the grave sites of everybody who had been in this country since we came over from Germany, um, which always had a, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't I can't describe the feeling, but at least like knew some of the stories of each one and how they came over. And then specifically on Landon I always thought it was cool they I think they just picked it because they liked the name um but it is a little bit Irish I believe is its origin and it basically means like wide open green pastures um which I'm a huge golfer and just like it's a good golf course lover of of land and open spaces and <laughs> it is always kind of weird how that uh those are my desires and it's like basically in my name so i don't recall any speeches like my dad gave me which i feel like for most people that's probably true like i mean movies have to they're they're operating on a timeline so they have to kind of i feel like exaggerate things to get it make their point in two hours i always thought it was cool so my middle name is garrett which is my mom's maiden name and pretty much everybody who ever met him says i look exactly like my mom's dad Richard or Dick Garrett and I always it was just kind of yeah I don't know I just was always like I apparently when I was like a little like little he died when I was pretty young but um I was just always very attached to him and wanted to be with him and all that stuff and then he passed away when I was only four or five years old but um yeah I was just always like kind of borderline proud of that that like oh yeah like my his that's my middle name and everyone says I look like him I, I just always kind of the I don't know not proud of where you came from in a sense of like a place, but just like the, I'd always had, always, always would like that link. Chris, any identity speeches from your, uh, dad? Uh, yeah. Kind of like Ross said, uh, not, not a big one thing, you know, one punch that, but just, uh, omnipresent, you know, this is who we are. This is what we do. You know, we, uh, you're going to be, you're gonna, you can do whatever you want as long as you apply, you know, that kind of stuff. So not one big speech. Um, I mean, I know, obviously I know my grandparents, but 
unfortunately, because of the history of this country, I don't have the benefit of knowing where we came from. So, but we know who we are to a certain extent. Where were your grandparents at? Do you know? New York City. New York City. So, Chris, <clears throat> talk a little bit about that. Because, okay, so we're, we're talking about identity, right? And presumably you're insinuating that somewhere in your, because obviously it's not the case for every single black family, but that your ancestors were slaves, mm-hmm. right? So what, it, what, obviously there's at some point you, you know, know the general history, like a lot of people, but then it, it disappears like, well, they were slaves. So what, what do you know about that? Not a lot. Like you said, enslaved uh, records were not kept of uh, familial ties. So we just don't know. 23andMe is a new thing, relatively new, I guess. And you can kind of trace your lineage back to genet- at least genetically where your, your, your people originate from. But that doesn't really tell you who your people are. I mean, it's interesting. I, I haven't done it. Mm. Uh, I don't know if I would do it, but it doesn't really tell you anything other than the fact that part of you comes from here, part of you comes from there. It would be nice yeah. to see records of everything, but it's not do you know possible. Where do you know where your great-grandparents were at, or not really? No. So what effect, that, well, if any, does that have on your your identity, your sense of self, having that particular, you know, notion of your ancestry? Uh, I mean, you are not your history, and that's something that my parents taught us and you can do stuff despite that you know we are we are intelligent people and we have certain expectations and and my parents always said all right we're gonna you know just like i don't want to say uh, jake Shuttle, he pushed his son i think he pushed a little too hard my parents they pushed us but not too hard i don't think so they they want to see us or see you live up to your potential and that's feel like we i hope we did that (laughs) but always pushing always pushing self-improvement yeah yeah i mean i don't remember any particular speeches uh by my dad that that rhyme with jake's necessarily um the closest things to it um i do know how i got my name michael I, I remember, and for some reason, I do hear this more from my dad, because I mean, he has said it a lot more than once. Um, he said it was a very strong name. And, yeah. Yeah, he, he has said less. Yeah. What, one who is like the Lord. Um, yeah, the actual origin of the name. And even though, like, I don't, I don't, you know, walk around thinking to myself, well, I'm going to be one who is like the Lord. Uh, there is, like, s- still a certain amount of, like, yeah, resonance with it. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of any other, like, small things that my dad or either of my grandpas, since, you know, um, both of them were alive into my early 20s and late 20s like emphasizes identity you know one of the i was telling steven about this referenced every episode you know the (laughs) brett's gonna get jealous here in a little bit (laughs) you know 
the thing about like speeches that makes them podcast worthy is that they do require a certain amount of faith, right? I did talk, Chris knows what this is, but I did talk with my nephew recently about something that required me to, to like contemplate something inside of myself that I thought was true. You're not exactly sure how he feels about this hypothesis that you have. And then you have to speak with a certain amount of authority with hoping that he's going to change his behavior with this. Like that, that's like an act of faith. And that's like a scary thing because either this individual is going to receive it, right? And even if they do receive it, they might not receive it then. It might be 10 years down the road or longer. Or they might, like, not receive it all and, like, be offended by it. Like, that's a scary thing, right? And that's, like, why it's so hard to replicate, like, these things you see in the movie. Denzel Washington isn't scared that Ray Allen is going to say, like, you know, obviously he does say shut your mouth to some extent or the other, but it's like he doesn't mean it, right? That's what, you know. But other kinds of, like, identity-type speeches for my dad... You know, we have, okay, giving Brett some attention here. <laughs> he did have that interview on recently with a gentleman who talked about how there's this lack of rituals in what's now mainstream culture, right? Like initiation being, being one of those things. And how this author tried to replicate or recreate a very particular set of masculine initiation by involving the community, by, you know, looking at scripture, by looking at these other sort of ancient resources. Um, But one of the things that he did, which really sticks out to me that pertains to this first speech, is taking your son to where he grew up, right? Um... Is that something I th- I know Matt has listened to that podcast episode. If any I feel like Ross didn't you Repeat listen to that, that Ross? Taking your son I might have actually just read the book. Because um Yeah, okay, that sounds right actually. Um Taking your son to where he as one of like his initiation things that he did with his son over like John five Tyson's years. Book. You take Yeah, John, John Tyson, Tyson, the yeah. intentional you father. You take your yeah. son yeah. to where yeah. Yeah, you take your son to where you grew up. So now that we know we've read this, Chris, I'll give you the opportunity. Have I you have read not. it? <laughs> so that's different than um, I read, but it is that is that something you guys have thought about uh, after reading that, or, or was that how does that stick out to you, or whatnot, or what would you say? taking your son to where you grew up what would you what were some of the things that would like stick out to you that you would show him i think this is interesting because we all i mean we're all pretty tied to the places we grew up so i think it'll come across as different because john tyson is from australia and his he's a pastor in new york city and you know, when he left Australia, he kind of knew he was 
never coming back and just felt called to like be a pastor in America, I think. Um, or to not be in Australia anymore at least. So that was like pivotal for him to go back to Australia and share with his son. But I just wonder there's another lesson or a vantage point given, you know, Ross, you live right down the road and Mike, you too, Matt, you're close. I go back a lot. And I, therefore I think it probably is like so, so much more intrinsically important to us given that we are not on the other side of the world doing something else. I don't know. Um, or, that we're closed, I think we'll definitely have the opportunities, but it'll probably be more of a part of the rhythms of the years in the life than it is like a monumental one-time thing. I mean, so one of my kids is actually at my mom and dad's house tonight. So it's funny that we said that. Um, but I think part of it, like, yeah, so it's not going to be as epic as some, you know, a flight across the world to Australia, but I think part of it, like taking your kids where you came from is like, I feel like just trying to get them to see like who you are and how you got made into that, like how you came to be that way. So I've thought about that a lot, like as I've gotten a little bit older, just I, not that I don't view my parents, not that it's like, oh, I view them totally differently, but I feel like I have just a different sense for just maybe the struggles they had or the decisions they had to make or the difficulties of, you know, life with kids and work and trying to make it all work out. So just like, I feel like I can relate to them in a different way now that I am married and have kids myself. So I find myself often like, I kind of feel like I wish I knew more about like my parents' childhood and just the type of parents that their parents were. And I don't know, just kind of understanding how they came to be the way that where the way they were. And I think that as far as taking your kids to where you grew up, I think it's just a, not just a, but is a concrete way to help show them. Yeah. This place formed me in some way. Yeah. I'm not particularly sold that flying to Australia is that big of an important element to its weight. Cause as trying to think here like you know where you grew up it's like i mean have a certain amount of looseness to that interpretation you know it's like we're not just going to my mom and dad's like so so i'm think i was trying to think real quick about like okay what are the three places i feel like i've got three three places i'm going to take him to the two that stuck out to me uh fairly quickly one getting into self-conscious vulnerable dps don't podcast scared um one the parking lot outside of an apartment where i told a girl i loved her Mm. or actually no we're well i did say that but we're uh yeah yeah i'll I'll leave it that pretty simple um (laughs) the other spot i might drive down to say like sykeston missouri and pick out some quiet section of road that i've bike bicycled down 
uh, that connects New Orleans and Chicago for biking uh, for babies. After you and... eat a throat roll. <laughs> yeah, after we eat a throat roll. I've been there, Lambert. And... Oh, yeah. Wow, Matt, I didn't know you knew that reference. <laughs> Landon knows the whole Midwest, so I'm not that impressed. <laughs> you know, and explain something to him about, you know, when you give something everything you absolutely have, it's like that landscape becomes a part of you. I don't know what the third place, well, I guess the third place might be might be mom and dad's. Yeah. But, yeah, it's like the, the place itself... You know, right. physically isn't super significant. It's about how how you platform it. You know how yeah. you yeah articulate it. Yeah, yeah. it's like where you bigger. What were the exact spots you made a decision or had an epiphany, and it's just like stronger to convey a value that you want to pass down in the spot where you realized that that was a value. Yeah, um, for yeah. sure. Sure. and provide them the same imagery of which to like receive the message i think places just provide like a strong can provide just like a strong emotional not attachment but just like an emotional response to that can be powerful yeah i mean it makes sense right i remember when you guys remember the book moon walking with einstein came out like 10 years Heard ago of it, but no i have i have not read it, it was me and Father McShane were obsessed with it for a while. We we memorized everything, and um, the point of the book was that we remember things spatially better than abstractly because that's just how we evolved, right? To memorize these obscure pathways. But the point that I'm making here is like, yeah, communicating those important life lessons in the context of a very particular physical space, even if there's nothing super impressive about that physical space, is going um, to be that, yeah, it's just it's going to pack a lot more, you know, weight to it. Yeah. Okay, Matt, anything else from that first speech that you want to travel through? Um, I mean, I think... No, I mean, I think we, we kind of talked about, yeah, just that it, it was a meaningful thing because, like, I know all the stuff we're talking about, at least the the book that um, whatever, John Tyson or whatever his name is, wrote. Like, he did that stuff with, like, when his son was a teenager. But Denzel, like, never got that chance, mm. you know? Um, <clears throat> so, like, he probably, like, he seems like the kind of guy that might have... <laughs> Or that would definitely have something like that in mind, you know. Um, mm. Maybe I'm just projecting other Denzel Washington characters on this Denzel Washington character, <laughs> but like I remember the, the the Gettysburg scene, and or when he takes the and remember the Titans, you know, when he takes the team to Gettysburg, you know, yeah. and like how like he just had him like I don't know, it was a very short, it was you know, five sentence speech. Right, so he ran the team all the way there just to deliver this five, you know, sentence speech, and then they're just going to run all the way back, you know. Um, but anyway, maybe I'm projecting, but yeah, I, I think that uh, yeah, Jake seems like the type that would have something like that in mind had he had the chance. But well, I'll, I'll just throw this out there, and if there's nothing there, we don't need to dwell on it. 
But I thought it was just an interesting claim that Jake makes, you know, when he says, everyone else ain't your father. Everybody didn't bring you into this world. Everyone else don't care about you, son. You know, like, just kind of, um, yeah, I just thought as absent as he was, again, kind of through this, um, yeah, odd circumstances, you know, certainly he's to blame to some degree, but not, maybe not entirely. It was kind of an accidental whatever, but anyhow, like, yeah. Like, he still has this claim that as absent as he has been and as as flawed as he has been, like, he still actually has the most fundamental reason to care about his son compared to, like, all these other people who are vying for his attention, you know. Um, and, yeah, I guess just thinking about, like, my father, I know there are elements of that where, like, he wasn't, like, for example, he wasn't happy about me going to seminary. Um, I think he started to get around to that. But I think he kind of had similar sentiments, you know, like, I'm your dad, like, you're going to listen to these, you know, priests and these random people, you know, and not your dad. And uh, I don't know, there, there are some sentiments like that expressed. And it, it just, yeah, I just really thought that that was a, a meaningful aspect of the that speech. Yeah, a week wasn't enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah, there there is something to that. Like, I'm your father, you know, mic drop sort of sort of thing. Because I I was sort of thinking today. I was sort of thinking today at work. One of my coworkers sort of aggravating me because he has this habit of, um, <sighs> arguing isn't quite the right word, but just putting up unnecessary resistance sometimes when you ask him to do something and <laughs> I'm obviously not his father but it's something to the similar effect is that I'm not going to force you to do this thing but keep in mind that I am your supervisor like and there, there's like a certain amount of just humility with that recognition that recognizing that you don't know everything and just keep in certain like context or perspective that yeah people around you have experienced a lot more than you have yeah i don't know i think that's the most relevant thought to what you shared there i think it's yeah not that i was gonna say earlier but just to see if we want to keep going here but i feel like it's like different there like thinking about like Jesus shuttles their perspective though because it's like well like I'm and again yeah a week's not enough time I know but <laughs> uh, like I don't know like it's almost like he played that card like I'm your father a little bit but for Jesus's perspective it's like well you haven't been around because you killed my mother and you've been absent for all these five years or whatever it was and yeah just again I just don't see how that would be, like, received well. Yeah, I don't know. I feel it's... it's. I, I would... I think it's almost something that just has yeah. to be said. Yeah. Like, what father wouldn't say that when he's... Yeah. yeah. And it's not... And the thing is, like, you call it a card, but I feel like that's underselling it. Like, there is a true meaning mm, yeah. to him being his father. You know what I, It's not just like, hey, I've got this special interest. I want to ma- make you know, a quick million bucks spent, you know, listen to me. 
right? That's what like, the, the agent guy was saying. That's what like his girlfriend was saying. That's what all these other people are saying. You know, like I'm your dad. I'm going to be with, I'm, I'm going to care about you. Whether you care about me, maybe not like, you know, but I'm going to care about you forever. Like that is a meaningful ass thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think on the other side though, just like how he would hear it though, is like, all of that you just said, but you're telling me it. And then in the same paragraph, you're telling me you're actually, even though you haven't talked to me in five years, only here because you want to get out of prison. So like, it's just hard to like, if you talk about all the import, like what a father is and what a father should be. Sure. Like if you don't do any of those things and then you finally come and talk to me and then reveal the actual reason I'm here to talk to you is simply because, like, I want to get out of prison. Like, to a 17-year-old kid, like, yeah, I don't see how his response wouldn't be, get out of my face. But I mean, he, he wrote letters upon letters yeah, upon fair. letters in his time, and Jesus was upset, understandably, didn't read them. And so he's always That's cared. Fair. He's always cared. That's fair. And he only had a week, as we discussed. (laughs) (laughs) Only had two weeks. (laughs) His sister was named Mary. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I thought that was funny. Jesus and Mary, like, that's that's very pious for Spike Lee. I wonder if that was intentional. (laughs) Yeah. You know, on the topic of Spike, I listened to that 10-minute-ish interview, maybe 20-minute interview he did with Charlie Rose. I thought that was good. I liked that one. Charlie's a good interviewer. I feel like there was something that really stuck out to me. I was sort of surprised. I don't know. There wasn't... There wasn't as much, like, I guess, father wounds there for Spike. He implied he didn't have a great relationship. Sort of like ordinary relationship with spikes spikes relationship but so you really wanted to see him expose some wounds and go deep you were like oh this is so shallow don't podcast scared (laughs) i mean what does that surprise you i mean most people are quote ordinary or normal you know sure well yeah but i mean you're you're not you spike lee obviously is an artist at the highest level like so yeah i'd expect him to have something more substantial um to say there but you know i couldn't find anything on really ray allen or denzel washington like well denzel washington sort of heard a little bit about his mm-hmm. personal experience but real quick thing in that interview i thought it was interesting spike i can't remember if it was spike lee or charlie rose but one of the two mentioned like oh maybe tiger woods has talked all positively about his dad yeah like, maybe yeah. it's not so positive you know they said that in 98 and then of course like you know however many years later tiger kind of heads off the rails and yeah that's that's a yeah. that's a very interesting question you know any of these phenoms that come out and their parents are very involved in their development how how hard are they pushing them have you guys seen the hbo documentary on that it's very good two-part um a lot of old TV interviews where um, Earl was just like talking about Tiger and like, oh, we let him play whatever sports he wants, and you know, we so long as it's gone, let him let him like pursue his passions, <laughs> and there's just like they just zoom in on like Tiger's face or uh, Tita's face, and like just her face while like Earl's muttering these words is like 
oh yeah we let him play whatever huh. okay yeah you're just <laughs> it's like you he psychologically like trained him like harder than any adolescent has ever been trained and like it it paid off for golf performance um most certainly right. uh but probably it wasn't nice. well-rounded yeah so maybe it's fitting. So my son's starting to play t-ball. I'm one of the I'm the assistant coach on the t-ball team, and his his swing is couldn't quite hack it as head coach, huh? <laughs> his swing is just goofy. I mean, it's the first year he's ever played t-ball. So like, and I mean, they're little enough that like, there's no outs. Every kid bats every inning. I mean, yeah, it's it's uh, an introduction to the game, I guess. What kind and, of far left T-ball are you playing up there, Ross? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I find myself like wanting to critique his swing to like start working on things. But then I watch this movie, I'm like just so conflicted internally. Like, oh my gosh, am I going to mess him up forever? <laughs> like if I fix his baseball swing? But yeah, it needs a little bit of work. We'll probably work on it this summer. <laughs> Okay, speaking of Ross potentially wounding Thomas, shall we move Let's on to the, wounds. to the father yeah. wound speech? Okay, <laughs> father wound speech, remember that was the one-on-one speech here. Now I sort of wish since we did that pretty well, I'd just like to play the speech right now, but you already heard it, so. Just play the one line, play the one line. Which line? <laughs> the last. The Let last me tell line. you something. Yeah. You look out for yourself. Oh, okay. You can play it. Put the put that in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something. You look out for yourself. You look out for your sister. You ain't got to worry about me no more. But you get that hatred out your heart, boy. Or you're gonna end up just another like your father. Sure, boy. Yeah, I think. Um... One of the things that stood out with the last line that I love is, again, also considering he only had a week, <laughs> um, but just the the fact that he, he, yeah, obviously the rest of the, the week had not, uh, yeah, had made little to no progress in terms of actually rectifying things with his son. Um, and then... This culminating event, his son says, you aren't my father, right? Deny, completely denies him and denies, you know, his, uh, you know, Jake's identity in some ways, or in a very profound way, rather. But, um, and then he kind of, he just has the one, this, this one line or this one paragraph, whatever. And then he just like, you know, then he says, you know, it's your ball, right? And I love that line because like one... I think it's a subtle reference to the because they had the childhood one-on-one game where he was really rough on them that they showed earlier, where mm-hmm. you know it, when they're in the house he's like, "Oh, that was my ball!" Like, "What are you doing losing my ball?" Like, "I paid for that," you know, and like, kind of claiming the ball, so to speak. And then he kind of, you know, like mm-hmm. it's your ball. I don't know if that's a too subtle of a reference mm-hmm. or if they meant that yeah. or not. But anyhow, but either way, it's just giving his son like the freedom, which I think. Um, like, that's the thing that I'm most afraid of, you know? Um, giving your son, like, the freedom to, like, 
really let you down and hurt you, which you have to do at some point, right? Like every father has to do that. Um, Cause like, otherwise, yeah, you're just going to push them. You're just going to like, I don't know. I, 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 but yeah, I just thought that was a really important aspect of like this last speech. Like, I'm going to tell you this last thing, like, this is really important. This is the, you know, like, I know I've wounded you, but you have to get overcome that somehow. Like, so it's on in this you, case, you know? it's, ob- it's obvious how Ray Allen could hurt him, but I'm having a hard time imagining obvious circumstances where you're giving your son the freedom to hurt you. I mean, if they're making a decision that you don't agree with, or if they're if they're uh, like, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, if they're just heading in a direction you're yeah. not happy with, or yeah, like so, yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. didn't fit some vision you had for them, um, yeah, like something like that. Yeah. Okay. So the riff on that a little bit more. It's like, yeah, it's it's. It's your ball. It's your opportunity to wield this freedom, you know, courageously, um, which is so going back, going back to a note that I had made in the notes, um, you know, it's like Jesus's ministry begins right after the baptism, baptism into Jordan. Sure. Right. And there is. Right, and you could sort of use ministry as an analogy for this freedom, right? It's like, I mean, yeah, what's the significance to that? This point, this culmination, his identity has been affirmed. Um, his his affirmation of his freedom has been pre-affirmed and clarified. Now you go out and take risk, right? Yeah, yeah. There's something very poetic and and uh, and ancient about the the idea there with it's your ball. I, I would say Jake recognizes now that his son is an adult, and he has to respect whatever decision he makes. And it's your ball. I'm your father. I've given you all the counsel that counsel that I that I can. Make your decision. Mic drop. Yeah. So Matt had a seminary for his his example. Do you guys have any uh, examples that are similar to that? Never in the sense of something that was like disapproved of or like tried to steer against. Um, but I don't know. I feel like it reminds me like I totally agree that that's like a super important and necessary thing for a parent to do. But it's also super difficult because it's like yeah. you have had not control in like a weird way, but like in a way control over this person for however many years they've been alive you know responsibility maybe i'll put that's probably a better word you've had responsibility for this person for you know give her 18 give or take depending on the person years 
and then all of a sudden you have to like accept that that's not your role anymore and um that's just really hard to do um for anybody and i don't know so i didn't have an example of this in the sense of my father you know disagreeing with anything i did but the, the closest thing i can think of i think i shared it in um in a prior episode but like just discerning marriage and kind of discerning this lifelong thing and that can be not difficult i mean it can be difficult but just the i don't know the courage it takes to make a decision like that and then i think from the the father standpoint just i'm not there yet obviously my kids my oldest kid is six but uh just the courage it's going to take to to let your kids make those type of lifelong decisions yeah it's just going to be difficult <clears throat> reframe the question um so the it's your ball and it's a it's like a handoff or a um a clarification of your opportunity to be free be courageous take risks do not be fearful that i will disapprove of the risk you're taking because i have done everything i can up to this point to you know shape you in these fundamental ways even if it was only a week <laughs> so even your your redescription of that i think i'll stick with a story in my notes that came to my mind first to describe this it was like the week before I started my senior year of high school. So I wasn't in college yet, but there were like interviews going on at, at uh, big state university, um, <laughs> U of I. And uh, for, for the ag college for, you know, basically like a full ride for freshman year, right before high school started up to do one more lap. Uh, my dad and I go over, I do the interview, and we're literally at U of I on quad day, um, which is like... Did your dad um, go to U of I? He did, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, big state, so, I mean. Yeah, he went to... He was a big state alum. So, like, in, you know, Illinois Athletics, like, U of I, my mom was there, too. They met there. Like, it was one of the probably decision points or just, like, you know, pretty big part of our family culture dynamic, you know. So we're walking around like quad day, which is when like all the campus organizations are out, like the students are flooding the quad and I'm there with my dad. I'm not even at the school. I haven't decided to come there. I might not go there. Who knows? I might play golf for some D3 school or whatever. I hadn't like fully made up my mind. Do I follow in my dad's footsteps or not and do something else? But I remember, I don't know what we said during a lot of that, but we bounced around every college building. Oh, you could be an engineer. You could be in business. Like, you could do the ag thing too. Like, it's up to you. Like, it's a huge university. You don't have to follow every single path. Uh, but we kind of sat down and rested in the hall of the library where the bronze tablets were. And, like, he described what bronze tablet was, you know, 4.0, yada, yada, yada. He's like, you know, you could you could do bronze tablet as well. Like, you're going to, you know, here's what it's going to take. You've got to... Refresh our memory, I what bronze tablet is. Bronze tablet's basically like the top 100 GPAs at the U of I. Out yeah. of like 8,000 yeah. students. Your name is etched in bronze. He's like, 
if you want that, you can have that. Like it's going to be your only thing, um, but you can do it. To be clear to our listeners, I was nowhere near bronze. Time, so. <laughs> didn't quite make it. <laughs> did not choose that path. He became a podcaster Dropped instead. Out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was like both a sense of like, you know, we were obviously at his place or university, um, but just like a wide open you've got to choose what you want Mm. and there's like so many options and this is on you. It's not on me. Like I'll, I'll show you the, the universe that I know fairly small universe given, you know, the world and our little small agriculture farm, Illini place in it. But to the degree that he expanded or kind of opened up whatever path along that stream was like, all right, I can, I can choose my way here. Hmm. Was your dad on the bronze tablet? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even graduate. <laughs> yeah. I feel like, not that, uh, I, I feel like we need to explore Father Wound just a little bit more. Like, I think, I don't know the end we need to take, but I feel like, like, that's such a big part. I mean, it's like the whole movie, and it's so in the speech. I feel like we just haven't really touched on it. We're, we're all probably a little scared to, like, talk about our actual fathers. Yeah. Um, let's, so, let's just open up that can, and I think that somewhere in there we'll find the final I'm just going to take a drink, and we're, we're going to go for it. <laughs> all right. You convinced me, Ross. I'll pour some more. Oh yeah, what do you got? Tullamore. Tullamore, beer. of course. Classic. <laughs> you always drink Tullamore. It's the go-to. It's the only one I can afford. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cheap. It's very good. So for Chris, how cheap he d- Chris, he doesn't mean that. Mike, <laughs> Matt is just afraid to spend a dime. <laughs> Tullamore Dew is very good for its price. I think it's, it's better solid. than Jam- I think it's better than Jameson. Yeah, they're about the same price. Jameson's five dollars. Hey, you like what you oh, like. Cool. Yeah. So. All right, is Landon gone? Okay, so <clears throat> you know, obviously, the crux of this film is, although I think it could have been portrayed better, um, Ray Allen slash Jesus Shuttlesworth trying to get over his father wounds, right? The idea that he needs to rectify the fact that his father pushed him so hard was too vital. He was too full of life. And that, see, they should have done this better in the film. Yeah, let's just... That is what I think Spike Lee meant. He was too full of life and too vital, and Ray Allen didn't love basketball enough. That's how they should have implied it. Um, But also, like, he was just this ball of energy, this ball of passion, and, you know, he could maybe, like, tie his um, accidentally killing Ray Allen's mom uh, to that idea. Okay. But they rectify that seemingly... 
through some magical basketball, which is another film criticism there. <laughs> Suddenly there's magic. <laughs> Uh, but they rectify that most sig- significantly and uh, in fundamentally. In a week. In a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so what are our father wounds like? And the reason that's an important question, of course, is because this film made however many millions of dollars, right? And Not it that didn't many. Make it million- was a flop. It was a flop. Oh. <laughs> Zero million. It made zero million. It hasn't made the, the more budget, than the budget was twenty five million. It made twenty one million. That's multi million. The multi million dollar film. Sorry, Landon, we're not as rich as you. <laughs> <laughs> Lost two million dollars. Okay, <laughs> still made twenty one million. They probably paid Michael Jordan too much making a cameo. <laughs> he probably charged seven million dollars. Um, but the point is. You know, people are attracted to the film, presumably not just because it's a basketball film or something fun like that. It's because there is something recognizable in it. So what are those what are those father wounds that we saw in there when you're like, That's me. That's me and that's me and my dad. I know. This is in the, the movie scariest yeah. no. scariest question the speech yeah. guy's ever asked. What was that? We've all seen the movie, Landon. We want real stuff here. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, real stuff. I'll jump in. You. I think one thing that... To to point to pull something out of the notes that I think me and Matt sort of seem to agree on, and Mike kind of challenged a little bit, so we were a little bit different like thinking about it, but the idea, speaking of father wounds, on how they can be complete... Not complete. They can be incidental, I guess. So... Um, and I think the reason I bring that up is because I think, yes, there are some maybe more obvious father wounds and you can paint the picture of, you know, a father who's absent or an alcoholic or, you know, abused his child or something like that. But just things that maybe weren't as, you know, clearly you're doing a bad job, but just something that was wrongly perceived by the child. So almost like an incidental father wound. Um, the reason I think that's I bring it up is because. I'm not saying the movie did it intentionally, but like, like uh, Jake didn't mean to kill his wife, right? So it was a total accident, and yet it has this huge, profound impact on Jesus and his relationship with Jake for, I mean, the rest of their lives probably. So to kind of take that from the film, this idea that you can do something, and not that G- Jake didn't do anything wrong, like he shouldn't have pushed his wife, but obviously he wasn't trying to kill her either. So I feel like for me personally then like kind of trying to draw from that a little bit. I think I just always put a lot of pressure on myself to be good at the things my dad was good at. And for listeners or Chris, who doesn't know me super well, and like, I, like I, so I'm from a pretty small town. So, and I was... Center of Illinois. Center of Illinois. Center. It's pretty, or it used to be. used to be the actual center of Illinois, and then they moved it. I think it might be the center of the U.S. too. <laughs> Maybe the world. We're not sure. No, um, no, but, that's down here. Yeah, so just, I mean, I feel like I always, so to just set the, for people that don't know us well, um, so from a very small town, so I was the third generation in that town, and my dad was just pretty good at stuff, like he was always very good at sports. Uh, he, we owned, like they owned, we owned the grocery store, which there wasn't very many businesses in town, so like, 
I don't want to say well-known in like a weird way, but like, yeah. So I feel like I always put a lot of pressure on myself to be good at things dad was good at. So dad was good, very good at football. Um, and people like told me that there was this old guy in town, I guess kind of your stereotypical. He's probably been to every home football game for the high school for the last 35 years. Um, and like he came up to me once and like started talking to me about remembering what my dad played and like trying to compare me to him and things like that. So I feel like I always put a lot of pressure on myself, even though it wasn't intentional from my dad. Like, I think I always put a lot of pressure on myself to be good at the things he was good at. Cause I kind of felt like there was an expectation there that was never probably was never there in the first place, but I put it on myself. So I don't know if that counts as a father wound or not, but something I kind of connected a little bit from watching the movie. I think this works as final bell question. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I like it. Final bell? Ding, 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 ding. Final bell. Where are we? 15. One more round. There's no stopping us now. This is our round. Don't stop it now. We're stopping. We don't stop. All your strength. All your power. All your love. Everything you've got. This is all life. Do it now. Final bell. Here we go. Do I have go. to talk again? Did I just answer it? No, no. You're good. You're good. Ross Ross did a little pre-fight dance there with the final bell, <laughs> and we'll uh, we'll take it the rest of the way home. Final bell, father wound, uh, father wound, father wound sounds too like babyish. How about father badge of red badge of courage? Father scars. <laughs> father scars. Cheeks, scars. We're not quite healed, but we're not bleeding anymore either. <laughs> But yeah, my dad was a pretty intense guy, and he would get pretty angry at times. Um, yeah, and I, I think he would, uh, I mean, I felt like I was, I, I'm sure he wasn't trying to be controlling per se, uh, but I felt as if he was controlling me a lot, uh, especially as like, you know, adolescent teenager, which like now looking back, like, yeah, there's a lot that he was dealing with. Um uh, at the time and like I think I've got a better appreciation for what he did for me uh, and for all of us kids but uh, but yeah there was there was kind of a, a rough patch there I guess and but yeah I think uh, I felt like there was a period where I had to I kind of felt like I had to walk on eggshells around him and I think to some degree that has caused me to uh, felt like I needed to like earn you know, God's love or like earn, earn a spot in the world, which to some degree is true. And not that you need to like earn God's love, I guess, but like, yeah, you do need to like put in the effort and like work hard and like, uh, there are consequences. Like, yeah, I think all those things my dad taught me very, very well. But I think, uh, if anything, if, you know, just coming out of that, uh, I think I've erred on the side of, um, kind of people pleasing and, um, I guess struggling to just interact authentically with authority figures just because I always kind of had mm. to be careful around. I felt like I had to be careful around my dad at, the, uh, at times. So um, I think that's been something that, uh, yeah, I've certainly realized I've kind of uh, dealt with. And I've, I, you know, I have talked to my dad to some degree about that, uh, that sort of thing. And 
Yeah, I think it is because I know, like Mike, you mentioned, like people blaming their wives and their and their fathers for for stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it, yeah, I, I'm blaming my <laughs> wife already. I'm not even married. <laughs> but yeah, no, it is it is the type of thing that like you do need to be very careful of. Like, all right, it, like this is what uh, I grew up with. Um, this was good. This was bad. And like you know, kind of dealing with dealing with that. And, uh, yeah, that's what I thought was like really important about Jake's speech at the end. Just like, hey, I screwed up, and so I guess he didn't admit that necessarily, but um, uh, but yeah, like you need to deal with the things that have happened in your heart, you know, because that's that's gonna mess you up later on. Yeah, I mean, briefly, there is a significant point to that of, yeah, recognizing the positive um, as much along with with the negative. Don't know if I really have any deep wounds per se, but I I feel like I'm lucky. My my dad has, he's been, he's always been very good. He's been awesome, omnipresent. But I will say that it always feels like I'm playing catch-up because... I don't know how to say it. He'll he'll make time for you. He'll you know I I remember vividly. I need help with my homework even before work in the morning. All right, you're gonna be late. I'm gonna be late. I don't care. Let's figure this out. And we did. But uh, I don't know. It's just like they they both my parents they punch way above their weight class, and I I feel like I'm always playing catch up. And when I compare myself to where they are and where they've come from, I'm still playing catch up. So that's uh, something that I've been trying to work through for a long time and i don't know if that's something that can be solved i just need to to live with it and, and so it's it's kind of like a, a distance i guess you've used the word omnipresent at least twice now in this podcast so i'm really curious exactly that the examples the imagery that comes to your mind that you're uh, referencing there but. uh i mean i saw a question in the notes you know what does it mean to be a father and that's one of the things that I think you need to be to be a good or an effective father. You got to be omnipresent. You got to be in your your family's life, and you have to be participating. Um, and my parents, my father, they were all like that. Um, and I have a, I don't know if that's a a, a separate co- a question, but for me personally, you know, I would achieve this thing professionally or personally and oh yeah that's great and then um i would think about or they might mention a thing that they did and you know it's i'm just measuring myself compared to them i guess and they're just so far ahead always 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 so far ahead create a little bit of distance between my dad and i i guess i I, I don't know if that makes sense to you guys Hmm. well yeah i mean it's sort of similar or something i said like i mean who else do you have to compare mm-hmm. yourself to, right? I mean, you're in your own household, and okay, Landon, where do we need to stitch you up at? Yeah, I feel like there's a couple things I want to tie in that I'm gonna like throw out in the front here. I don't, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to tie them together into a tight knot, but I think, I think one of the themes uh, I, I will throw out. Yeah, I'll just throw out Genesis four. Here, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, go from your people, go from your father's household 
to the land that I will show you. I think like the story of Abraham right off the bat is like he was a pretty old dude married, but he was still with his father. There's like a a non-biblical canon. uh, What are those called? We actually studied it in Lutheran Sunday School, but it's not in the Bible. It's like Abraham destroyed all the idols of his father while his father was gone one day. It's a Jewish term for a story that's not canon. Uh, anyway, but I remember that that one. We could look it up later. But I think, yeah, there's like, <clears throat> what I'm trying to debate is like a, you know, there's such a, a virtue of carrying on a family legacy and um, standing on the shoulders of your father that also... You know, I think the Eastern religions and Eastern culture also believe that. But here in the Abraham story, we see like a no, like go out and perhaps discover yourself or be your own individual that is definitely more an ethos that we perhaps identify as an American. It could be like an artifact of a pretty old early Christian like accept the spirit and become who you are that includes a lot of things your father was too but you don't have to like stay directly under his wing um separately I think I don't know if that really relates to like any sort of wound so I'll flip it back to um imagine so I grew up on a farm father was a full-time farmer a way to describe farming is like you live in a community like could you imagine if Everybody you went to church with that you saw at the grocery store were your peers. Like, if they could see the quality of your work every day on display, like in your job, in your perhaps even like home life, and if it was just like out there to like drive by and judge that's a little bit of like farming in a community. Like your work is out in the open. Anybody can drive by your fields. And I I don't know about you guys, but like personally, if like everybody in my personal life could also judge the quality of like my work life, like that'd be a lot of pressure. And I think that some of, um, again, perhaps trying to figure out a wound I think that 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 is a high-pressure environment if you think about it that way, which you don't have to. And the wound would probably be like, I felt like my father always like thought the grass was greener on the other side. Like, oh man, I just wish I had an eight-to-five job, like an office culture, farming in the community I grew up in where you literally know four generations back every single field home that you drive by for a 20-mile radius. Like, um, and then the feeling of them perhaps judging you is like office career that would be like so much better um and i think that that is one thing i remember bringing that up to him when we were driving to uh big state university obviously um (laughs) the farm to big state university we we grew up in like a it's a really sandy soil farm if it doesn't rain like things dry out it gets bad but as you approach the uh, the Eden that is Champaign-Urbana and the black soils and perfect weather and 300 bushel corn. All the farmsteads, like there's farmsteads that have 
three acres of pure green grass like their lawns always look perfect and we were like contrasting like where we farm versus um eastern illinois eden and it's like yeah you know you always think like the grass is greener over here like it's easier to farm there you know whatever and there's one yard that is just perfect every time it's like well yeah true the grass may not be greener everywhere but it definitely is on that farmstead all the time we should farm there uh (laughs) and i think that uh i i don't yeah it was after i graduated from college somehow i was in a car with them and uh it kind of like it was a an interesting comment that broke the ice of just like it's not yeah the grass isn't yeah, the key is to figure out how to water water your own grass and, and be grateful for mm, there you um, go. There you go. that side of the fence to, to quell the own anger that is within you um, that uh, Jake and Jesus had to confront. Not sure all those threads tied together, but... Uh, Close enough in my book for 10.41 p.m. It's been a great show. Chris, it's been great having you. Can't wait till the next Denzel Washington movie we come up with is. I don't know. <laughs> Safe House is on Prime right now. You guys figure out something to do with Safe House. Ross, what do we have going on next episode? Well, we'll officially find out in three weeks, but I think we might uh, try to learn a little bit from our friend Nelson Mandela. Nelson Mandela. Classic. Well, hey, thanks for drinking. And thinking. thinking. (laughs) Be safe out there. Start over. (laughs) Chris, you can say cue the music since you're the guest. Cue the music. Dead ends come and go. Look toward the horizon. Up ahead you'll find a peace of mind. Relief from the trying. I have burned a bridge, wrecked in a ditch, had to ask forgiveness. Dead ends come and go, look toward the horizon. Oh, there are stories to tell, the times we grew and the times we fell. Oh, I've been afraid some days, but the world will lead us to a better place. Will lead us to a better 